Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. My sermon for you today is, I hope you can receive it as I intended, and that is as a Christmas gift to you. I call it deep as hell, high as heaven. Isaiah 7, 11. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. In the year 735 B.C., Jerusalem was under threat. From its northern neighbors, Damascus and Samaria. There was rumblings of an impending invasion. At that time, the king of Judah was Ahaz, the son of Uzziah. And the king had heard the news and the people of Jerusalem had heard the news. And were told that the heart of the king... And the heart of all of the people shook like the leaves upon the trees in the forest when they're shaken by a great wind. They're filled with dread and trembling because Damascus and Samaria are about to invade and bring death and destruction. That's when God sent the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz. And he went to him and he said, keep calm. Don't be afraid. It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. That's a good word. In fact, that might be a word for somebody here. Maybe your heart is all aflutter with some anxiety. Maybe you're dreading something that you think might come upon you. I want to say, keep calm. Don't be afraid. It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. That's a good word. So you're anxious, you're afraid, you're troubled, and the prophetic word comes and says, Keep calm. Don't be afraid. It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. That's what Isaiah told to Ahaz in 735 B.C., When he was afraid of an impending evasion from Damascus and Samaria. And then Isaiah said, now just ask for a sign. I mean, I've told you, keep calm, don't be afraid, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. Ask for a sign. Ask for a sign that that what I have said is the word of the Lord. Ask for a sign. It can be as deep as hell, as high as heaven, doesn't matter. Ask. And uh, Ahaz says, oh no, I won't ask the Lord. I won't put the Lord to the test. No. No, go ahead. Ask for a sign. It can be deep as hell, high as heaven. No, I won't ask for a sign. And so Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child, and she'll bear a son, and she'll name him Emmanuel. 
He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. All right. Ahaz is all upset of an impending invasion. The prophet Isaiah comes and says, keep calm, don't be afraid. It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. Ask for a sign to confirm this. Oh, I won't ask for a sign. All right, the Lord will give you a sign. The young woman, the young woman is with child. It's probably, probably Ahaz's wife. The young woman is with child. And I'll tell you right now, I'll tell you, it's going to be a boy. You know, they didn't have ultrasound then. But as I says, I just know. It's part of the sign. I know it's going to be a boy. And you're going to name him Emmanuel. It means God is with us. That'll be the boy's name. Yeah, the young woman's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy. You're going to name him Emmanuel, because God is with us. And you know what? By the time that boy, you don't know it's a boy, but I know it's a boy. By the time that boy is able to eat solid food, what you're so worried about won't be any threat at all. That's the sign. That's what Isaiah meant by his Emmanuel prophecy in the year 735 B.C. Do you get it? Upset king. Oh no, they're coming to get us. Going to be an invasion from Damascus and Samaria. Nope. Keep calm, don't be afraid. We'll not stand, we'll not come to pass. Ask for a sign, I won't ask for a sign. Okay, I'll give you a sign. Here's a sign. The young woman is with child. She's pregnant, she's going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy. You're going to name him Emmanuel because God is with us. And by the time that boy can eat solid food, you won't even hear about Damascus and Samaria. It won't be a, it'll just completely be nullified. No problem at all. That's what Isaiah meant by his Emmanuel prophecy in the year 735 B.C. Everybody say B.C. What's that stand for? Before Christ. And by the way, it it did come to pass. About two years later or so, uh, Assyria invaded Damascus and Samaria, and then they weren't going to mess with Jerusalem anymore then. So it came to pass, historically, so that by, let's say, the year 733, Isaiah and Ahaz and Jerusalem thought that Isaiah's Emmanuel prophecy had been fulfilled. But they were wrong. There was more to it. The prophets, the Hebrew prophets, always said more than even they knew. As for a sign, let it be deep as hell, high as heaven. I'm not going to ask for a sign. Okay, here's the sign. The young woman is with child. She'll have a baby. It'll be a boy. You'll name, it, you'll name him Emmanuel. means God with us. And by the time he eats all the food, you wouldn't have to even worry about this problem. That's what Isaiah thinks he means. It, come, it came to pass. I mean, here's what I'll say about that sign. It's impressive. I don't know that it reaches the level as Deep as hell, high as heaven. He made a prediction based upon the birth of a child and predicted that it would be a boy. The boy part, you get a 50-50 chance, you know. 
But he got it right. And then it came to pass that what he said, by the time that boy can eat solid food, you won't have to worry about this because God is with us, by which he means God is on our side. God is on our side. He's going to protect us from Damascus and from Samaria. We're going to be okay. No one knew it then. But seven centuries later, the real fulfillment would come to pass. No one knew it then. But the... the there was, a, there, was, there was more in there than Isaiah could ever have imagined. Paul would have said, yeah, it's exceeding abundantly above and beyond all that we can think or imagine. The gospel is a story. The gospel is not a formula. It's not four laws. It's not three steps. It's not a plan of salvation. The gospel is the story in its biggest telling of Israel. Of Israel. Of how God chose Israel. And called Israel. And made a covenant with Israel. How God delivered Israel and rescued Israel over and over. Even when it looked like God had forsaken Israel. No, he turns to them again and he brings them back out of Babylon and brings them back. That's the first part of the gospel. It's the story of Israel. The thing is, though, when you get to the end of the Old Testament, it's like in those movies, to be continued. I mean, the Old Testament is a book in search of an ending. It's like... And then, now, the prophets had talked about a coming one that would be the anointed of the Lord. The Messiah, the christened one, the Christos, the Christ, the Messiah. But you know, people don't know when or exactly in what way. We're just left hanging with the first part of the story, to be continued. You ever been to a movie and you didn't know that was going to be the case? You sit there for two hours and to be continued. Oh man. That's kind of the Old Testament, to be continued. Well, let's go to part two. Let's go to the very beginning of the second part of the story of Israel. We call it the New Testament. Let's go to the very beginning. That would be Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then what we have is a genealogy, beginning with Abraham, because that's really where the gospel starts. You have some prelude about God creating everything good, and then the world descending into exponential violence, and then the world given kind of a new start through Noah and all that. But the, that's all just sort of a prelude, just setting the stage. The real story that the Bible has to tell begins with Abraham. Because Abraham, Abraham is called by God that, that he and his seed might be a blessing to all of the nations. God calls Abraham, he's, he's going to be the father of the Jewish people, but the blessing that God intends was not just for the Jews. They had the, the chosen honor. They were elected by God 
given the honor and the privilege of bringing this good news into the world, but it's for the whole world. And it starts with Abraham, and then, you know, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and, and this whole, we're not going to read the whole genealogy. I'm just, you can do that on your own time. Read the whole genealogy all the way up to Jesus. So let's pick it up with that part. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. All right, you get all that, right? They're engaged. They haven't been together. She turns up pregnant. Awkward. Her husband, we would say fiancé, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, he's a good guy, planned to, let me say it this way, break off the engagement quietly. You know, you understand. But just when he had resolved to do this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Wow. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Yahshua. It means the salvation of Yahweh. You shall name him Yahshua, or Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, oh, watch this now. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, through Isaiah. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Us. It's only by reading scriptures, it's only by reading the scriptures in the light of Christ that we get their full meaning. It's only by reading the scriptures in the light of Christ that we get their full meaning. Isaiah meant one thing in 735 before Christ. 735 years before this, Isaiah meant one thing. And he thought that's all it meant. But he was mistaken. Because as the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah in what he did with Ahaz in 735 B.C., there was way more intended. But Isaiah wasn't aware of it, and Ahaz wasn't aware of it. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, it just says, well, the young woman's pregnant. She's going to have a child. It's going to be a boy. Name him Emmanuel because God is on our side. And by the time he can eat solid food, the problem will be gone. But by the time we get to the first century before Christ, the Jews around the world are reading their Bible in Greek, not in Hebrew. Greek has become like the English of 
of that day. It was the language that so many people spoke all over the world. And for, for a lot of people, for even Jews, for a lot of people, they really didn't speak Hebrew. And so scripture was read to them in a Greek translation called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, it doesn't say, and look, a young woman is pregnant. It rather says, behold, the virgin shall conceive. Well, that's a whole different thing. If I say, you know, look, the young woman's pregnant. Yep, that happens. If I say the virgin will conceive, you'll say, wait a minute now. How does that work? Which is what Mary actually said to the angel Gabriel. Wait a minute, how does that work? And the angel said, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Oh, okay. Be it unto me according to your word. When Christians then, after the life and death and burial and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, when now these new believers in Jesus start reading their Bible, and that, that was just what we call the Old Testament, they're reading it in the, in the Septuagint, the Greek. They're just, you know... Believing in Jesus and they're just, you know, and one day they're having a reading in church out of Isaiah and somebody reads, and the virgin shall conceive. And somebody goes, that's Jesus. Yes, I see it now. No one could have predicted that Messiah would be born of a virgin and no one did predict it. Nobody predicted that. But once we're told that Messiah was born of a virgin, then looking back, we go, oh, I see it. It was there all along. So Christians must read all the Bible in the light of Christ to discover all of its riches. If you leave Jesus out of the Old Testament, it's, you don't get it all. Jesus illuminates all of the scriptures. All of the scriptures, not just Matthew to Revelation, but Genesis to Revelation. Jesus illuminates all. We read it in the light of Christ, and that's when we have access to all of its riches. Now, it's in the light of Christ that Emmanuel, Emmanuel, what's Emmanuel, Emmanuel mean? It's in the light of Christ that it takes on a much greater meaning. For Isaiah... In 735 before Christ, Emmanuel meant God is with us in the sense of God is on our side. Don't worry, God's with us, meaning God's, you know, on our side. But Matthew reveals that Emmanuel really means God is with us as one of us. We didn't see that coming. That God would be with us as one of us. Emmanuel means that God in Christ joins the human race. Wow. Why would God in Christ join the human race? The answer is to save the human race. Christmas is as much about salvation as Good Friday and Easter. See, we, we've, we've been... Form to misthink about this. We think, well, Christmas is how Jesus gets here, and then you know, we wait until, and then we got to wait until, wait until, wait until Good Friday and Easter, and that's where he does his saving thing. No. Christmas is as much about salvation as Good Friday and Easter. In fact, once you have Christmas, once the Word becomes flesh, the salvation of the human race is a foregone conclusion. Now it's going to have to run the whole 
the whole trajectory. It's going to play out, but it's already going to happen. Because why does God in Christ take on humanity? To heal humanity. He takes on our humanity to make it well again. God in Christ takes on humanity to heal humanity and span heaven and hell with salvation. Emmanuel means that God in Christ joins the human race. And that brings us back to where we started. Ask a sign of the Lord. Let it be deep as hell or high as heaven. And then what you get is... a. A woman who's pregnant going to have a boy named Emmanuel, and by the time he eats all the food, the problem's gone. Well, that's nice. Good, good. I don't think it reaches to hell or reaches to heaven. It's, it's you know, much more modest than that. But when we get to Matthew, we find a sign that is deep as Sheol, deep as the grave, high as heaven. Christ comes from heaven born of a virgin, that he might descend to the dead, that he might descend to Sheol, that he might descend to Hades, that he might descend to hell, whatever word you want to use for that, and bring salvation to creation, that he might fill all things everywhere with himself, as Paul says. When God in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, entered the womb of the virgin, we behold the great mystery of salvation, the creator inhabiting creation. I'm reading the Brothers Karamazov again. I just love that book. It's good for me to read it. It's my fifth time. And uh, good old Fyodor Dostoevsky, he did a great thing in writing that. That's great. It's almost, it's a sign. But it's not like, I mean, what Dostoevsky could never do is enter the story himself. I mean, he could write about himself. I mean, to actually go into the story. That's what God in Christ does. He's the author of the story, but now the author of the story joins the story. The creator enters into his creation. It's it's a sacred mystery as deep as hell's eye as heaven. When I visit Orthodox churches, I always see a particular icon, this icon here. It's called the sign of the Theotokos. I've never been in an Orthodox church that didn't have that somewhere. The sign of the Theotokos. Theotokos means God-bearer. It's a reference to Mary who bears God in her womb. But just, that, just make that statement. That almost, that should just overwhelm us with mystery and awe that God entered a human womb and with the the sign of the Theotokos icon that I've seen in every Orthodox church I've been in you, you see these usually I would sit in Greek but then I was in a place in America where it was in English and I could read it and you see this more spacious than the heavens and I, I thought, well, what does that mean? More spa- and I, I, I found it an intriguing phrase. And I sat in this Orthodox church and I just, more spacious than the heavens. 
And I eventually, just by sitting there thinking about it, I figured it out. Oh, they're talking about Mary's womb. How big is the womb? You know, a little womb? No. When God enters it, you have to say it's more spacious than the heavens. Because the Creator has now entered into our world through the womb of a virgin. The, the line actually, though, I, I didn't know this till much later. The line actually comes from uh, a liturgy written by St. Basil the Great. He lived from 330 to 379. One of the absolute most important early church theologians. St. Basil, his brother Gregory of Nyssa, who presides over the Council of Nicaea, and they, learned, they both will tell you they learned everything from their sister. Macrina. That's, they said that's, they called her the teacher. I mean, we talk about the church fathers, we really should have some more church mothers. And most patristic scholars will say that among the very greatest are Gregory of Nyssa and um, Basil the Great. But they will tell you, and we've got all of our good theology from our sister, Macrina. But in Basil's sacred liturgy, he has a line where, where it says that speaking of the Theotokos whose womb is more spacious than the heavens. So it goes all the way back to the fourth century. Now why would you speak of the womb of the Theotokos being more spacious than the heavens? Because the one who created the heavens and the earth has entered the womb of a virgin. It's a holy mystery. And the sign of the Theotokos is the sign as high as heaven and as deep as hell. There's the sign that's high as heaven and deep as hell. It's through the incarnation that salvation comes into creation. It's through the incarnation that Jesus becomes Lord in all the worlds. That he might be given the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's through the incarnation that death is defeated from top to bottom, from heaven to hell. It's what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 10 when he says, well, you, know, you, you don't have to say, well, who's going to ascend to heaven? As if you know, we've got to somehow through our own effort, we've got to climb in heaven. He says, no, don't, you don't have to say that because that brings Christ down. Christ is the one that's ascended to heaven. And you don't have to say, well, who, who will descend into the abyss? Who's going to go down there and wrestle death and defeat death? You don't have to, you don't have to worry about that. because You don't say that because that brings Christ up. He, Christ is the one who has descended. Christ is the one who, as a human, through the virgin womb of Mary, spans heaven and hell and fills everything with his salvation. Whew. I love this. So Christ comes from heaven. Who is Christ? Christ is the Logos, the eternal Logos of God, eternally proceeding from the Father. He's the Word of the Father. And the Word of the Father through the Holy Spirit becomes incarnate in the womb of the Theotokos. And now the Word is on earth. And now the Word is not just in heaven. Now the Word is on earth. And then, and then, and then the word dies and descends all the way to the dead. But the word doesn't stay there. It just goes down there to defeat death. And then it is, is raised back, back on earth. And then 
ascends to heaven so that there's a complete circuit. It's all connected, deep as hell, high as heaven. It's the sign of salvation in all of creation. That's the good news. That's the good news of Christmas. That Christ came from heaven, he came to earth, he went down into the dead, and he rose again, and he defeated death, and he came back on the earth, and then he ascended into heaven, and the circuit is complete, bringing salvation from highest heaven to deepest hell. That's the good news, yeah. All right, so that's good news, and we should preach good news. On Friday, Friday was a big day it was, it was Perry's birthday, so you all got to tell her happy birthday today. It was a big birthday. It was her 16th birthday. That's how we say it. 16, she's sweet 16. And uh, so we had a big day out. Perry and I went to Kansas City. Uh, we were going to, at the end of the day, in the evening, we went and saw Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick's new film. We're going to have to have another thing here. It's so good. It's so Christian. It's called It's a Hidden Life. It's about a Christian conscientious objector in Nazi Germany. I'm not even supposed to be talking about that. That's not in the sermon, but I love that movie. It's an art film. It only shows in art theaters. So someday we'll show it in here. <laughs> like 10 years from now probably. But, you know, I'm going to do it. <laughs> you won't need me to explain this one to you. It's a lot more accessible, but it's wonderful. Anyway, before we went to see A Hidden Life at the art theater and Prairie Village, we, we spent the day hanging out on the plaza because we like the country club plaza, at, especially at Christmas time, right? So we're, just, we're strolling around, we're walking around, and during our strolling about the country club plaza at Christmas time, we came across three different religious groups doing their thing. First, we encountered the Hare Krishnas, you know, their orange robes and their Shaved heads and their little symbols and Hari Hari Krishna Krishna. I mean, I'm not. I, it's fine with me. I've read the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, it's it's good. It's you know it's like it's like proverbial wisdom. But you know it doesn't have Jesus. And I'm 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 in this thing for Jesus. All right, that's what got me in this. That's what's keeping me in this. Uh, but you know there they are with their you know their orange robes. And, oh, I'll tell you a story. Uh, one time. One time I was on the country club plaza with my good friend, Pastor Joe Beach from Denver. And, we were, and there they were. They were the Hare Krishnas with their little symbols and their chants and Hare Hare Krishna Krishna doing their thing. And we're walking by and one of the orange robe shaved head Hare Krishnas suddenly went, Pastor Joe! And ran over and gave him a hug. <laughs> Joe said, eh, one of my church members. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we first, first, first we saw the hard Christmas. I thought, well, that's not my tribe. Not against them. That, don't misread me here. But it's just not my tribe. Next we encountered a prepare to meet thy God angry street preacher. I mean, he was King James version angry. <laughs> you know. It wasn't prepare to meet your God. It was prepare to meet thy God. And he had a sign. He had a little... little speaker and a little microphone and he was mad he's mad at everybody he said you just out here and he was condemning them for shopping and you just you just love your shoes i said i don't want my shoes they're okay i don't love them 
And Perry, she didn't want to get near him. I said, no, we're going to cross the street. I've got to walk by him at least. And I wanted, I wanted to really get close and check him out. He was earnest. And he was angry. I, I thought about saying something. I you know Perry would be mad at me and it's her birthday. Uh, but what I, well, I, so I didn't say anything. But I'm thinking, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that guy was sure at the plaza to condemn the world, that's for sure. So, well, that's not my tribe either. And then two blocks up from that, I came across my people. And it was a group of young people just singing Christmas carols. Just singing the songs of salvation. Just, just singing. They're not yelling at anybody. They're just singing the sweet, sweet song of salvation. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Listen. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Amen. 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 That's a, I can't do any better than that. I'm going to stop right there. Stand up on your feet.